We got an action-packed show for you today. Two teams that have signified excellence. All those question marks, and just I just can't help but think that the Vikings are going to win. Broncos got a lot of work to do this offseason. DJ Stroud, 37 touchdowns, 6 picks. It's just remarkable. He's going to, I can't so wait to see the Russell Wilson that we, quite frankly, had never seen of him before, even when watching him play for the Seattle Seahawks. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Fawad's Pod. Obviously, the podcast presented to you by Tunnel Vision Sports. As always, I am your host, Fawad Farouk, taking you into the sports verse this week. We got a lot to discuss, but before I get started, I want to wish everyone a happy new year for all the viewers, for all the people who are watching at home. Hope you guys had an amazing new year. Got to spend time with your family or whatever it was you did over the new year to keep yourself relaxed and comforted around your family. I hope you guys were able to do all of that. And we got two special guests on the show today. One of them we've had on the show, Ahmed, before. Ahmed, how are you doing today, my brother? Doing great, man. Thank you for having me on the show once again. And I'm looking forward to talking sports for the fourth consecutive week, I believe. Yes. yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, and next we have uh, a brand new guest on the show. We have Janed. Janed, how are you doing today, my friend? Uh, I'm ecstatic, to be honest. I mean, I've been kind of watching you guys from the outside looking in and kind of what you know you guys have been doing with these podcasts, talking about sports, and it's been really intriguing. <laughs> and I think this year in sports has been really interesting overall. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. For sure, for sure. Thank you so much for being on the show for the first time, Janae. Glad to have you on. Before we get started, I just want to take some a couple moments to acknowledge a situation that transpired this Monday on Monday Night Football. Obviously, one of the most uh, numb moments that I've ever felt in just watching football in its own like. Uh, we saw uh, Buffalo Bills safety, Damar Hamlin, go down. Um, we've seen a lot of injuries. We see injuries on a week-to-week basis and happen in football, but this one was particularly uh, one of the most scariest ones I've seen. Um, uh, it goes from being just a football game, this guy is out there pursuing his dream, uh, to it being a life-and-death situation, and uh, Damar Hamlin collapsing on the floor, and they're giving CPR to him. One of the most unfortunate situations I've seen happen. One of the more unfortunate injuries, the most unfortunate injury, to say the least. Guys, let me get your thoughts on this situation. And uh, what do you guys think about it? I know you guys were watching it live. What were your thoughts on the situation? Uh, I'm going to start with Ahmed. Okay. Yeah, no. So when the injury first happened, um, I just thought it was a normal injury, you know, probably like a concussion or, you know, he probably got the wind knocked out of him. But then when they went to two straight commercial breaks and they came back and Joe Buck mentioned that he was getting CPR, I was like, I mean, because that never in sports history, from my knowledge, never happened before. So when I heard the word CPR, that's when it was like, OK, this is very serious. This is not something we were accustomed to seeing. Um, and then they showed Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs on the field crying with along with other teammates and that's when things started to get really emotional uh, i'm sure it was the case it was the case for all the sports fans around the world you know we're not accustomed to seeing an injury like this 
but, you know, all we can do right now is pray for DeMar Hamlin and hopefully the situation does get better. Um, I think uh, the Buffalo Bills coach um, McDermott and Bengals coach uh, Zach Taylor, they did a great job on handling the situation. But yeah, as I said before, just all we could do right now is pray for um, DeMar Hamlin and hope he recovers perfectly fine. Absolutely, absolutely. One of the more uh, really complete ways of handling a situation by both Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor. Jeanette, what are your thoughts on the situation? Yeah, kind of going off of what Amit said, I, it was really tough to watch in real time. And and me personally, like uh, similar to Amit, I was pretty confused when the play actually happened. And and when you really look at the replay now, actually knowing the context of the situation, it's actually really disturbing to watch um, just the way he went down and the way he kind of just shut off, basically, in a sense. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me of that injury uh, a little bit earlier this season as well with Tua, uh, where he kind of went down and, you know, you kind of had his fingers kind of like crawling all over the place. And whenever you see something like that, it's it's really scary. And, and the, the most recent injury I can really recall that has been major was was the Ryan Shazier one, and that pretty much ended his career. And, you know, it, it's tough to, you know, at the end of the day, these guys are more than just players. You know, these guys have families. They're more than just people that throw on jerseys and have their last name stamped on their back. Um, so I'm more so just, you know, I'm, I'm worried about the guy himself. I hope, you know, I, I can't imagine what his family is going through at this time. Um, his mother was in the stands, and, you know, I, I can't even imagine just her perspective on the whole situation, but – you know, all we can really do at this point is just to, you know, send our prayers and, and love out to his family. And, you know, hopefully he'll have a, a fast recovery and come back better than ever from this. Yeah, absolutely, Janand. Um, you guys both said it completely best. You know, the seeing a situation like that transpire right before your very eyes is just one of the most disturbing things. And it goes from just a football game to being a life and death situation. I said no parent, no no guardian wants to see their child in that situation. And I cannot imagine how a mother would feel about her child basically facing a life and death situation on the field. You and, and you're not supposed to see that type of situation in a football game. That is not an ideal situation to see a situation like that transpire in a football game. And the fact, the thing that's the most disturbing for me is the fact that the whole world had to see it is probably one of the most disturbing things to me. But at the end of the day, you can only show your support and love and you can send a prayer out for DeMar Hamlin and his family. Hopefully he recovers and recovers fully. He's a 24-year-old gentleman who has a who had potentially a bright future ahead of him. And, you know, his teammates just had high praise for him. And um, I just hope the best for him and wish him Nothing but the best moving forward and a speedy, speedy recovery. He's been making some great progress. They said he's been making progress and he's sort of been able to breathe on his own a little bit. But with that being said, he's still in critical condition. So uh, with that being said, the support of the NFL, the the whole sports world has just gone viral with this situation. Uh, for me in general, I, I can't even express like what's been going on. Like the, your mind is not on the sports world right now it's like it's with Damar Hamlin and his family and what he's what he's going through right now so I wish and hope that they pull through to this situation and he comes back better than ever and healthy and can enjoy his life like his parents probably would wish him to enjoy his life um very very tough situation um 
Uh, with that being said, you guys have anything else to add on the situation? I think you covered it pretty well. And, you know, just just the fact that not only in football, but players from all over every type of sport, you know, kind of sending their thoughts and prayers to, to you know, to him was was obviously very encouraging. And it goes to show that it's in sports, it's bigger than football, basketball, whatever sport it is. And 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 it's good how everyone just kind of came together for him. And that's what he needs right now. Absolutely. All we can do is pray. So, you know, just continue to pray that he recovers and um, continue to show support to him and his family for sure. The best goes out to his family, prayers go out to his family, and I wish him nothing but the best. With that being said, I want to start off with our first segment of the day. Here we go. We are talking about the NFL playoffs week 18, last week of regular season football. And we got some huge implications with the AFC South. We got the Titans and the Jaguars fighting it out for the final playoff spot on Saturday. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence has been on a hot streak as of late, being one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I think he has a ratio within the last couple of games of 15 touchdowns to no picks. Uh, he's been he's been lights out for the last couple of weeks. And the Titans obviously facing an uphill battle. They didn't have Derrick Henry last year. They're going to most likely have him back this week, but they're not going to have their quarterback. They're going to have uh, Joshua Dobbs uh, playing the quarterback position this week. I'm going to start off with Janet on this one. Janet, who comes out with the win and how? Well, what are the deciding factors in this game? What's going to happen? You know, I really wanted to, when I was kind of assessing this game, I really wanted to go for the underdog. And Jaguars are a minus six and a half point favorite right now. Um, and I, I I just think there's too much going for the Jaguars and the opposite going for the Titans. So I'm going to go with the Jaguars for this one. Uh, you look at Tennessee, they're coming off a six game losing skid. Um, Ryan Tannehill, their quarterback, who, you know, not necessarily is having the best year of his career, but still come this time of the year, you want a guy like Ryan Tannehill on your team a guy who's been through those games, those big pressure games, like even beating the Patriots in the uh, back in the playoffs a few years ago. You, you want a, a veteran guy like that on your team. You look at that, and you look at the fact that the Jaguars' run defense is giving 75 rushing yards per game, and that's going to put more of a lot load on your veteran quarterback, which is uh, Joshua Dobbs in this case. And I think the best and only chance that Titans really have at winning this game is through Derrick Henry. I think Derrick Henry is going to have to put up a monster game, that 150, 200 plus rushing yard game for them to come out with this. But I just don't see it happening. The fact that they're on the road and facing Jacksonville, who's coming in very, very hot. Trevor Lawrence has been playing incredible. Jacksonville itself, they're five and one in their last six. And then Trevor Lawrence has been playing just remarkable. He's really been taking that step now that we were kind of expecting in that first year. And over that six-game stretch, he has over 1,500 passing yards, 11 touchdowns, two interceptions, great ratio. And Jaguars have scored 28 or more points in four of those games. So they're obviously ready to get things going. And when I look at all those things, I look at Derrick Henry. I do like how they rested or kind of gave Henry off last week and didn't risk him playing. But, you know, they better hope Derrick Henry comes out, out ready to go because that's their only hope to win, in my opinion. And I think there's too much going for the Jaguars. So I think the Jaguars are going to win this game and, and end up clinching. Yeah, I think Jeanette just hit the nail on the head with the, what the Titans are going through, the rough stretch, the injuries. 
Uh, obviously, Derrick Henry has to have a game where they he either pass uh throw uh receives for multiple touchdowns and rushes for multiple touchdowns. But that question mark is obviously not on with the receiving core with Tennessee. You know, Robert Woods is their leading receiver on the team, and he has about 487 yards receiving. So um, that passing game is has not been the best. Uh, as it was compared to last year when they had A.J. Brown, you lose a lot of pieces. Uh, it's not consistent. You have a quarterback that comes in who uh, hasn't learned the system as well as a guy like Ryan Tannehillwood or Malik Williswood. So I feel like that's the big question mark with this situation. And I feel like uh, the Jaguars are just as hot as they can come in with uh, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, and Evan Ingram has emerged as one of the top tight ends in the league within the uh, within the last couple of weeks, which is really shifting towards uh, Jaguars coming away with this win. That's why I got the Jacksonville Jaguars coming away with this win. Uh, Ahmed, uh, what do you what do you think is going to transpire on Saturday night? Uh, yeah, you know, so this is obviously the biggest game of the season for both teams. Division on the line, playoff on the line. Um, it's essentially a win or go home situation. So, um, you know, as you know, Janet and yourself talked about before, you know, ten uh, Tennessee is just hammered with injuries. I mean, they haven't, they had no Ryan Tannehill. They're without Taylor Lewan, their star all pro tackle. Uh, they're also missing a lot of key pieces on defense. Um, I think Kevin Byard is the only healthy piece they have in that secondary right now. So um, I'm expecting Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones to have a field day. Um, that being said, I just believe, you know, whether Tannehill was playing or not, obviously he's not playing. He's out for the season. I just believe Jacksonville is, they're coming in way too hot. They're one of the hottest teams in all of football. Um, I think their most impressive win of the season was definitely against Dallas, you know, down 17 in the second half. Trevor Lawrence just facing adversity and showing the league what he's about. And, uh, you know, as Janine mentioned before, Jacksonville is one of the hottest teams in all of football. And uh, they're going up against a battered Tennessee Titans team. So, uh, I, I know they have Derrick Henry, and I know Derrick Henry's had a lot of success in recent years against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But that being said, I'm expecting Jacksonville to completely take Henry out that game. I mean, they're going to stack the box, I'm expecting, because, you know, Tennessee doesn't really have a, a true passing threat. So uh, I really don't think this is going to be a, a close game. I have Jacksonville winning this game around 31 to 14 um, and, and heading to the playoffs with that AFC crown. So. It's gonna be a fun, it's gonna be an interesting one, but I think Jacksonville got this. Yeah, I think it's pretty much unanimous on all three of our behalves that the the injuries are just too much to overcome for Tennessee in the situation, and that Jacksonville is gonna pull away and clinch that final playoff. Spot. And one more thing, one more one more thing, I forgot. Um, of course, I got I got a roof for Doug Peterson. You know, former Eagles coach. He bought us our first Super Bowl ring, so you know, gotta vote for Dougie P, man. That's the only thing I could do. Show my support. Absolutely, absolutely. He's one of the more experienced coaches in the league. And when we saw Jacksonville take the step to hire him, you know, Trevor Lawrence was really excited. Getting a guy who's experienced and knows the game well, has a Super Bowl pedigree as one in the big game. Obviously, you get that added bonus and you know that he has what it takes to win. And obviously, he's showing it as the Jaguars sit on the cusp of a playoff bird. So, uh, it's going to be an exciting game nonetheless, and I'm looking forward to it. With that being said, we got another game on the slate that could potentially decide a playoff berth. Three teams are fighting it out for the last spot in the NFC, the seventh seed. We have the Seattle Seahawks. We have the, the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers. 
So implications with this is a little bit tricky. So if Seah if the Seahawks win, it's it's slim to none that the Lions make the playoffs. I, I believe they're eliminated. But if the Seahawks win and Green Bay wins, that means Green Bay will clinch the final playoff spot. The only way that the Lions can win, uh, claim the final playoff spot is if Seattle loses to the Rams this week. So uh, I'm going to start off with Ahmed on this one. Ahmed, what do you think is going to happen? Who is going to clinch that final spot in the NFC? Is it going to be Seattle? Is it going to be Detroit? Or is it going to be Green Bay? And we'll just discuss the games. The Rams are going up against Seattle. And the Green Bay Packers are playing the Detroit Lions on the last game of the week. What's going to happen and how is it going to go down? Yeah, I mean, you got three teams battling for that last spot. So it's going to be interesting. Um, but before I do give give my game picks uh, for these two games, I just want to say um, you do not want the Green Bay Packers to move on. If you're a second seed that's going to play the seventh seed, you do not want to see Green Bay in the playoffs. Their defense has been one of the best in recent weeks, and they have Aaron Rodgers. Um, you have Jared Goff on the Lions, and then you have Geno Smith on the Seahawks. And with all due respect, you know, those are some good quarterbacks. They've been balling out this year. But we're we're talking about one of the greatest to ever do it in Aaron Rodgers. You do not want to see this guy in the playoffs. I mean, obviously, his, his playoff history is not the best. But regardless, I would rather want to go up against Jared Goff or Geno Smith. Um, that being said, um, I do think the Seahawks are going to beat the Rams. The, you know, the Rams, once again, they're going to be they're battered up on defense. No Aaron Donald there without key pieces as well. So I do believe Seahawks win that game. But I don't think it will matter because I think the Green Bay Packers are going to beat the Detroit Lions for this last spot. And I do see the Green Bay Packers uh, clinching the seventh seed. And uh, once again, um, whoever the second seed is, whether it's San Fran or whether it's Minnesota, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to play the Packers in the, in the wild card round. That's just me. Yeah, Ahmad said it really best, you know. But when I look at these final three teams, I just think to myself, all three of these teams could have potentially, I feel like all three of these teams are potentially worthy for a playoff spot when you look at it. The high-powered offense for the Absolutely. Lions. The Lions have just been dominant. Jared Goff is statistically having one of the best seasons of his career. Um, the weapons around him obviously have been injured for a lot of the season. Guys like Amandra St. Brown, you lose TJ Hawkinson. He has an underrated offensive line. They they show they show all the pieces that are capable of being a playoff team, but it just comes down to execution at the end of the day. The defense is obviously the missing piece. And when I look at this Lions team, it's sort of a same situation they ran in in years prior when they had Matt Stafford and they had elite, elite offenses. It was the defenses that held them back. And I feel like it's sort of the same situation right now with what Jared Goff is in right now. The defense is giving up a lot of points. And when you're going up against a team like Green Bay at the end of the year, that's a that's a tough task to go. That's a tough challenge to face in a final game. And uh, well, uh, that being a playoff deciding game to clinch a playoff game, it makes the stakes that much more higher. Um, you know, like you said, with all due respect to both these other quarterbacks, Jared Goff and Geno Smith, this guy Aaron Rodgers is a back-to-back -back MVP in this league our current back-to-back -back MVP in this league. He faced so much adversity this year. I felt like the Packers were completely out of it. But now we're at week 18. He has a chance to put this team in the playoffs. They're looking like one of the most dangerous teams in the league right now. If they make the playoffs, 
they're going to be one of the most dangerous teams. And obviously, I would not, if I am any any team in the playoffs, I would not want to play a guy that's led uh, the uh, Green Bay Packers team led by Aaron Rodgers. It's one of the most frightening and scary scenes you're going to see with uh, offense, with the way Green Bay has been rolling for the past couple of weeks. I got Green Bay clinching the final playoff spot. Janed, let me get your thoughts on who you think is going to prevail. Well, uh, first of all, um, I think it's kind of fitting how the teams with the most momentum are kind of coming in and playing each other, um, and that's the Packers and the Lions. And I also like how that that basically is going to determine the outcome. And I do agree with Amit. I do think the Seahawks are going to beat the Rams. I think the Rams have faced a bunch of injuries. They've just been having an off year in general. So I think the Seahawks will win. However, if the Packers win, it doesn't matter if the Seahawks win. They still the Packers clinch. And it ultimately boils down to that. And I do think the Packers will end up winning and, and beating the Lions. Um, the Packers, you know, if you if you told Aaron Rodgers while they were four and eight this season that you would have a final game and have a chance to make it to the playoffs, he would take that any day of the week. And I think Aaron Rodgers kind of piggybacking off what you guys said, he has been through it all at this point. And when I look at the quarterbacks, I know there's a lot that goes into the game. But when I look at the quarterback position and I see Geno Smith, Jared Goff and Aaron Rodgers, it's a no-brainer at that point. Sure, Aaron Rodgers is not having the best year of his career, um, but I think when 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 it comes down to it, at least in the regular season, listen, I'm not saying the playoffs because Rodgers in the playoffs, that's a different story. We all know that, right? Um, he always, for the most part, he disappoints, but he does have, he has won a Super Bowl. You can't ignore that. He is a back-to-back -back MVP, as you stated, Fouad. And I think he's been through enough situations to a point where he's going to be very cool, calm, and collected. Um, when they play the Lions, I think the fact that they're at home is very, very big as well. Um, they're going to be feeding off of that crowd energy. That's if if you're looking for a playoff atmosphere game, I mean, that right there is going to be one out in Green Bay. Um, so I think there's just too much energy and good mojo going for the Packers. I mean, listen, Dan Campbell has done an incredible job with the Lions this year. Um but I think Aaron Rodgers and, and crew are going to do enough, especially coupled that with the fact that not only Aaron Rodgers, but their defense has been incredible too. I think Rodgers is going to get the job done, and, and I think the Packers will end up clutching. Yep, you said it best. Uh, unanimous yet again. We said this about Jacksonville. We're saying this about Green Bay again. They'll well, From our perspectives, we think that they will both clinch the final playoff spots for the respective conferences. But I just want to uh, take a trip down memory lane. I think there was a game last year in the final week of the season where I believe Jacksonville was playing Indianapolis. And I believe it was for a playoff spot. And yep. they lost that game. And they lost it convincingly to a Colts team that, was, that were just playing spoilers to them. Is there any chance those jitters play a factor in this one, knowing that you faced a similar situation like that last season and you're going into a situation like that this year to potentially put your team in the playoffs. Do you guys have any thoughts, uh, Alma, Janet, any of you? Do you guys think that those that that moment, that game itself will play a factor into the way this 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 game is going to unfold for Tennessee Absolutely. and Jacksonville? Yeah, absolutely. I think it does. And and I think it's going to play the kind of the reverse effect in that way, because they've been here before. Um, they've experienced it last year in the final game of the season. You know, you have a chance to make the playoffs. You're facing the Colts who are having a terrible year and the, you end up losing. I think they may have gotten a little bit too confident coming, just realizing who they're going to play. 
And I think this time around, they're more so alert and they've gotten that experience that, hey, I've been in this position last year. And I think the fact, just the way the Jaguars have been playing over the last few weeks, I, I don't think that that effort that they have put in is going to result all of that to lose to a Tennessee team that has been facing a ton of injuries, that's coming off a six-game losing skid, that doesn't have their starting quarterback. Derrick Henry is, who knows if he's 100% at this point. I just think there's too much going for Jacksonville to a point where that will affect them in a negative way. I think they will look at it in a positive way and basically rely on the experience and not make the same mistake again. Yeah, absolutely. Amma, do you have anything to add to what Janet just said? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I every Jay, Jay took everything uh, out of my mouth. You know, I, mean, I was going to say the same exact thing. Um, you know, I think Dougie P has these guys ready to go no matter what the situation is. And uh, I still believe, you know, Jacksonville is going to dominate the trenches and, and come out victorious. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, exciting week 18 of football ahead of us. Looking forward to the wild card weekend and just the NFL playoffs in general. We got a lot of good, good football left to play. And January is the best time to see the NFL. With that being said, we are going to move on to our next segment of the day. Here we go. We haven't really talked about combat sports or anything, but I was like, what better way to start the combat sports talk with having two great UFC enthusiasts on the show. Um, we saw some amazing fights it last year in UFC. Guys like Kamsat Chemayev, Charles Oliveira, Michael Chandler, the Justin Gaethje's. But uh, uh, the with the year just kicking off, I just wanted to have a little chat on potential fights to make in the UFC this year with uh you know a lot of a lot of potential on this ufc roster like from head to toe dana white has just done an incredible job with making combat smarts like an empire for uh you know just the world to watch and the way it's coming together it's just been phenomenal the way people have watched the ufc and their fan base has just grown drastically and people have just loved it so, um, Ahmed, I'm going to start off with you on this one. What is one potential fight that could be made this year that it's a must-see on all levels? Yeah, uh, listen, for a while, I know I have to give you one, but I'm going to give you two because I couldn't leave, I couldn't leave the second one out. So it's, it's really close, but I've been saying it for many years now. I want to see Francis Ngannou and John Jones happening. I mean, I've... I don't know how long talks have been like John Jones wants too much money. He wants 20 million. Francis Ngannou's coming off two torn knees. I mean, the situation is all over the place. That being said, I also did recently read an article that John Jones and Francis Ngannou is a, it's a guarantee to happen in 2023. But then again, they say that every year. So who knows, right? Um, that's up in the air. I hope we can see that fight this year. That's going to be my dream fight without a question. Um, and Ngannou and Jones, man. I mean, who doesn't want to see that fight at heavyweight? Two uh two elite um combat sport athletes going at it. So I I mean if if the fight was to happen, I'm gonna go with Francis Ngannou, but you know you can never count out the greatest to ever do it in John Jones. So as I said, very, very close fight. Um, but I really hope that happens on 23. And one more fight I want to talk about. Um, and I also do believe this fight will be the last fight of this person's career. I'm talking about Kamzachimaya versus Kamara Usman. 
in the welterweight division. Um, you know, before I move, do move on about who I think is going to win, I do believe Kamar Usman is going to retire after this year. You know, as, as we've stated before, you know, Kamar Usman has said he doesn't really want to fight too long, too much longer. As you know, he has a daughter. He wants to be more attentive to his family. So and he also does have medical problems. You know, his knees are like really like kind of messed up. So I don't think he could go much longer. So I do believe this fight against Kamzat Shimaev is going to be his last in late uh, 2023. Um, I think uh, Kamzat Shimaev is going to become the new uh, welterweight champion. Um, I, I can't wait because UFC is in good hands this year. I mean, you you have every single division is must-watch television. Maybe besides like a few, but UFC is in good hands, man. I cannot wait to see all these. I hope these fights do go down. But regardless, a lot of good cards. And I do believe in Dana White to deliver once again in 2023 for us. Yeah, absolutely. Dana has done an incredible job just putting up a great card after great card. The weight divisions are stacked. And um, uh, the Ngannou and the John Jones fight is one of the most uh, must-see, most anticipated fights that the viewers, the fans are like just fiending to see. And um, yeah. man, I want to see that fight so badly after... Watching that fight with uh, Nganu and uh, what's his name? Sarogan. Sarogan. You know, did, it was just unbelievable to watch how dominant Nganu was able to be. And, you know, I feel like John Jones being one of the best uh, mixed martial artists that we've ever seen in UFC. You know, that's the fight mm -hmm. to make. But, you know, uh, John Jones just has to make it happen so we can see it. But uh, for me, a fight that I feel like is more key and a fight that needs to be made. Uh, you guys know I'm a huge Jorge Masvidal fan. I'm, I'm, you know, he's getting old with age. Uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of people say he's, uh, you know, all too old. He's just been losing too much. But I feel like a fight between him and Conor McGregor would be something that would, uh, you know, really be box office, considering that Conor McGregor hasn't been in the octagon for quite some time. And even Conor McGregor being in the octagon last uh, last couple of times, he's been losing and uh, Jorge Masvidal, you know, he's been losing in his own life. He lost to Covington, lo uh, losing two prior times to Komaru for the belt. Um, I feel like this is really a fight that would be entertaining. Uh, it's not going to be a championship fight, obviously. It's going to be fight more uh, entertainment-based because, you know, these guys are box office. They have the great mic skills. The, uh, and it, I feel like it's something that the fans are just going to go crazy over. And I feel like... It's something that the people are going to gravitate towards heavily. That's why I feel like uh, Conor McGregor and Jorge Gamebred Masvidal is a fight to make. Uh, you guys got any thoughts? And Janet, uh, after that, um, we'll hear your fight. Well, you were about to get me really frustrated because I thought you were about to say Masvidal versus Edwards or something crazy <laughs> like that, you know? But then you you kind of recovered there with the Connor because Connor is like he's coming off of, you know, losing skid and, and whatnot. And and I, I think that actually makes a lot of sense. Coming back, I feel like Connor is not going to make the same mistake where he kind of throws himself into the fire too early. You look at Masvidal, he's coming off a bit of a losing skid himself. Granted, he's lost to Usman and Kobe, which are, you know, snubs. But um, I think Jorge and, and Connor, it's kind of it's kind of similar to Chandler versus Connor, kind of where they both are aligned. So I feel like Connor has those options. And if I'm Connor, I'm not racing right back into the top three. I'm facing a guy like Chandler. I'm facing a guy like Masvidal. So, yeah, that, that's a pretty good fight. Yeah, I mean, Janet was spot on with it. I do believe Masvidal versus Connor would be box office for sure. Uh, Connor did 
state multiple times that he does want to fight at 170 again. He doesn't really mind if it's 155, 170. Um, I don't know if you guys recently seen uh, pictures of Connor, but he looks jacked, and I think he's ready to go at 170. So I could definitely see Masvidal and Connor being a realistic fight in 2023, and definitely hope it happens for sure. For sure. Well, Connor's a bit, Connor's a bit juiced up right now, so <laughs> that's that's why he's uh, that's why he's we looking. Consider him a juice head over here. <laughs> yeah, that's a juice head. Before, before yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and and share my opinion on on the fight that I think that has to happen. Jones and Ngannou, first of all, I mean, that's that's like more of a dream fight. Like if I had to yeah. pick one, that's on the top of my list as well. But I'm kind of logically thinking about it. I'm kind of thinking of the last time they try to make that fight and the contract complications that were happening. Jones saying he wants more money. There was actually a previous interview a few weeks ago as well. Jones stating that I'm not trying to fight anytime soon. He said, I'm not going to fight until I get paid more. And he said, I need the UFC to meet me halfway. Who knows what's going on with that situation? We know Dana has a history of not paying fighters that well. Um, and Ngannou, I, I think Ngannou would be willing to fight. But, like, that's obviously a dream fight, and I'm, I'm kind of basing it off of more logic. Um, and I think the logical fight that I would love, absolutely love to see right now, is Colby Covington versus Hamzat Shemaev. I think there's just a crazy interest behind that fight, and I think it's been building and brewing for a few months now. And I know Dana's trying to get that, that added into the co-main for the Usman and Edwards card out in London, which would be absolutely insane and, and probably the best card of the year. Um, but when you look at Colby Covington, um, this guy has recovered incredibly, and the only person he's really lost to in that division was the champion and probably the greatest welterweight of all time in Kamara Usman. And I know he's not the champion right now, but let's not forget that Kamara Usman was winning pretty much every round against Leon Edwards until he got that kick, which, by the way, was perfectly executed, not taking anything away from Edwards. But Usman was pretty much destroying that fight for the majority of it. Um, but when you look at Colby Covington, and, and Colby actually posted something on his Instagram, which I found really interesting after this, their second fight. He posted something saying that he actually has won more rounds in, out of 10 than Kamara Usman. And when you actually look at the fights, I don't agree with it, but you wouldn't be ridiculous to actually believe that. Because Colby Covington put up incredible fights against Kamara Usman. He was very leveled with him. The fact that he, he, was, he was out striking him at times. I think in the first fight, one judge had him up 3-1 going into the fifth. I mean, Colby Covington is 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 one of the best fighters in that division. And then you look at the beast in Hamzat Shemaev. And, and, you know, these people come around very unoften. And, you know, you look at Khabib Nurmagomedov, who's probably like the most recent guy who I can recall like this, where you truly start to think. It comes to a point where you start to think, who is going to beat this guy, you know? And I feel like Hamzat Shemaev is one of those people. When you look at Shemaev, you you start to almost think, who is going to challenge him? Who is going to be a real challenge for him? And uh, granted, you look at Hamzat's competition, it hasn't been the best, but he's not fighting slouches, right? He's literally grabbing people, taking them to their side of the corner and talking to Dana White midway before he slams them to the ground and, and pummels them. And then obviously the biggest fight for Hamzat was the Burns fight. To be truly honest with you, in real time, I thought Burns won it. But I've watched that fight since a few times after, and I think Hamza definitely closed it out good in that final round and won that fight. But I think, going back to the point, I think the I think where Hamzat is in his career right now and where Colby is in his career right now, I think Hamzat, after that Burns fight, it wasn't decisive, right? We did not come out of that fight thinking, okay, 
Like this guy is like a hundred percent up next. Now, could he get the shot? Granted, he could get the shot, but I feel like where Colby is after beating a guy like Masvidal and kind of working his way back up, Hamzat beating a guy like Burns, they're kind of like in a collision course. And of course, Usman has now lost the title. He needs to fight Edwards. So what better time to make Colby, Colby versus Hamzat happen? And I hope they get that done in that um, in that February card out in London. Um, that would be the one that I would pick. But, you know, there are a lot, you know, like Connor and Chandler's another good one. Um, there's a lot of good fights out there. But if I had to pick one, logically, that would probably be the one I would go for. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there's so much riding on this year. The expectations from UFC and the box office talent that we expect to be delivered. There's so many fights you can look forward to. But before we close out the segment, we have a huge fight coming up in February. And I know you guys are both looking forward to it in the lightweight division with Islam Makachev and Alexander Volkanovsky. This is one of the most anticipated fights right out of the gate. Dana uh, decides to deliver one of the best fights we're probably going to have all year. And we got nearly 10 months to go after that to see what other fights we could possibly see. Um, Islam obviously coming off that championship victory over Charles Oliveira. Volkanovski has been dominant in his own life. In every way, shape, or form, he's literally dominated most of his fights from start to finish, either ending in stoppages or... Um, I'm going to I'm going to ask both of you guys what's the expectation going into this fight as a fan? What are you expecting to see? I'm I, the outcome is completely at the end of it, but what type of excitement do you guys have for this fight coming up? I'm going to start off with Amazon this one. Yeah, um so you know Volkanovski and, and Islam is early February, you know early 2023 has a chance to be the greatest fight of the year without a question. Um we're talking about pound for pound best fighter in UFC and Alexander Volkanovski moving up one weight class to fight the lightweight champion in Islam Makachev. Um man, I I really can't say much. It's going to be an absolute banger. Um you know Volkanovski is a guy who's just dominate i mean dominated that 145 division he beat max holloway in fashion two times other time may have gotten max holloway may have gone wrong but still beat him three times he absolutely embarrassed uh brian i mean uh korean zombie his last time out i mean and you know one thing about volkanowski is the way he overcomes adversity you know in that fight against brian ortega when he was nearly getting submitted he found he found a way to get out of it and, and somehow won that fight um but moving up a weight class is never easy. You know, we've seen it with Israel Adesanya moving up to light heavyweight and, you know, getting shattered on the ground by Jan Blahowicz. And, and I think this is going to be a similar scenario where, you know, Volkanovski is just, he's just not going to have enough to, to stay on the ground with Islam. I think Islam is going to dominate that fight on the ground. However, you do not want to stay, you do not want to have a striking fight against Alexander Volkanovski. I mean... As good as Islam is as a striker, he's very underrated. We've seen him knock down Charles Oliveira in, in their last fight and, you know, submit him from there. But Islam Makhachev needs to stay away from those uh, from those uh, knuckles of Volkanovski because that guy could knock you out in a heartbeat. You know, he may be small, but that guy has extreme power. And I think the only way Islam could win this fight is on the ground, and I think he will do that. That being said, I, I do believe Islam Makhachev will retain his lightweight belt, and he will be officially number one pound for pound uh, in the UFC rankings after that fight. Yeah, I kind of piggybacking off of what Ahmed said. Um, when the fight first got announced, uh, to be truly honest with you, I think Islam takes this fight pretty easily. 
Um, I just think Volkanovski, Volkanovski is a savage. Don't get me wrong. He's an incredible fighter. He's ran through everyone through the, in the 145 division. The second fight versus Holloway, do I think it could have gone to Holloway? Sure. But, you know, it wasn't a robbery, right? I think Volkanovski might have still done enough to win it. Um, but Volkanovski, especially in that fight against Korean Zombie, he looked like one of the best fighters like I've ever seen. Like, forget the division. I, I just He looks so crisp from start to finish, right? His striking, his movement, his speed is is, is unmatched. Um, but we got to remember he's moving up 10 pounds that has that, that, that affects your speed in a, in a sense too. Will that affect his power? Will that increase his power in a sense? Sure. But I think Islam Makashev has, has a great chin on him. Um, I think Makashev is a pretty good striker in and of itself. Let's not forget he dropped Charles Oliveira, which granted Charles Oliveira doesn't have the strongest chin, but he did drop him, got right on top of him, submitted him, um, and the way I see the fight going is I see kind of similar to what Ahmed said. I see Islam and Volkanovski kind of, you know, trading hands. Another thing you need to remember about Islam Makashev is when people are fighting a guy like Makashev, fighting a guy like Habib and, and these guys, these wrestlers, is they are so focused on them attempting to shoot any second that it kind of affects their striking, right? And it's kind of similar to Masvidal and Kamar Usman in their second fight. Kamar Usman fainted a takedown. Masvidal drops the hands. Usman connects with the right, and he's gone. Lights out. Um, and I think Makashev, if he can get a nice feint in, he can even drop uh, Volkanovski with a clean right. But I think Volkanovski takes him down. He pummels him, and he submits him. And and that's that's my prediction on the other fight. Wait, yeah, you said Volkanovski takes him down? I Islam takes him down. I'm sorry about that. Islam takes him I was, down. Like, I was going to say, Volkanovski <laughs> winning? Oh, man. I mean, Volkanovski yeah. could win, man. When you look at but, it, yeah, Islam has just been... Gonna... He wouldn't yeah, win Islam... in that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Islam has been one of the most dominant fighters like we've seen in a long time. So obviously being trained by Khabib, you know, he you see a little bit of a reflection of Khabib inside Islam. That's why I feel like it's so like... I don't want to say it's such an advantage having Khabib as a coach, but when you just look at his ground and pounding game... It's just like something that just stands out so much when you look at a guy like Islam. But uh, Alexander, obviously, like you said, you don't want to strike with Alexander because if you do, you know, it's going to be really ugly at the end of the day. So Islam, no, if he's going to finish this fight, if he does, have, if he's going to finish this fight, it's either going to be on the ground or he's going to win by decision because I feel like it's going to be tough for him to stand toe to toe and trade trade strikes with a, a guy like Alexander, a guy who is one of the best in the, in UFC and doing that. But I'm going to add. No, yeah, I just, I was going to say, um, having Khabib as a coach is 100% an advantage. I mean, that guy won coach of the year they gave out the awards. I, I believe yesterday him and uh, Javier Mendez, who's also another uh, Islam's coach, both of them want coach, uh, coach of the year. So I would 100% say having uh, Khabib in your corner is 100% an advantage. The guy, the knowledge, the IQ he presents in that corner when Islam is fighting is remarkable. There's clips online you can watch. I mean, give me Khabib in my corner any single day of the week. I mean, it's definitely an advantage for sure. Absolutely. An all-time UFC great. Um, knows probably the greatest UFC fighter of all time. Um, and that's a huge, huge advantage to Islam. And this is going to be one of the more exciting, exciting fights 
to look forward to this upcoming year. I mean, just in a matter of a month, we're going to get to see this fight. So very, very exciting, exciting way to kick off our new year with a banger in the UFC at UFC 284. With that being said, we're going to jump into our final segment of the day. Here we go. We're going to be talking about the NBA. And if you guys are watching the NBA, you guys know that the scoring performances that are being put on my 22 years on this earth, I don't think I've seen a league that has been driven offensively so much as I have seen it this year. We saw just two nights ago on Monday, Donovan Mitchell dropped 71 points in an overtime victory over the Chicago Bulls. And just a couple of games prior to that, we saw Luka Doncic put up 61 against the Knicks. We saw LeBron James put up 45, uh, I believe 48 points of his own on his birthday. Um, Luka Doncic is a player who's had, there's been 70, uh, there has been seven 40 plus point games this year. And three of them have been from Luka Doncic, obviously showing why the league is in good hands with the way he's been playing, obviously remarkable. But I want to get your thoughts on the huge 71 point outburst. There has been, I believe, uh, three players that have gotten uh, 70 plus points in winning efforts. It's been Donovan Mitchell, it's been Kobe Bryant, and we've had uh, Wilt. So I, I'm going to start off with Janet on this one. Uh, Janet, what are your thoughts on the increase in scoring in the NBA right now and just overall the, the shooting display and overall the offensive display that Donovan Mitchell put on this Monday? Yeah, actually, I think Devin Booker might have gone 72 a few years ago. And it's pretty funny because Mitchell, Kobe, and 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 Booker all got drafted number 13. So take that as you will. But I think Mitchell's performance, I wasn't watching it live. I did hear about it afterwards. Now, honestly, I'm almost getting to a point now with the NBA where this is happening every night, right? And and, and for us as fans, we've we're, we've gotten so used to it that we see a player drop 52 and we're just like, damn, wow. It's nothing. You know it's nothing. You know, we're not really having any sort of reaction like that. But when a player drops 71, that's like you're you're getting into like the crazy levels at that point. Right. Um, and me personally, I, I did not see the game. I heard he dropped 71. And then I was like, oh, man, this is crazy. Um, and then I was like, you know what? Let me go check out the stats, because oftentimes when players drop absurd amount of points like this, they're probably really inefficient. They throw up like 40 to 50 shots and whatnot. But then it got even more crazier. Because when you look at the efficiency and what Donovan Mitchell actually even did, I mean, he shot, he literally shot 64% from the field and shot 46% from three. He was 20 of 25 from the free throw line. So not only did he drop 71 points, he did it by being efficient, right? And it doesn't even just stop there. The fact that he was so efficient while dropping 71, and then you look at everything else he did. The fact that he had 71 points and 11 assists. 11 assists and eight rebounds. He was two rebounds away from a 70 point triple double, which is just insane to even say out loud. And for a person to surprise us like that in the day and age where stats are, I feel like so inflated and nowadays, um, 
is pretty remarkable. And honestly, I'm going to go even far as to say that's one of the greatest on from a stat sheet perspective. If I was to show you a stat sheet and you were to read points, rebounds, assists, field goal percentages, all that, that's one of the greatest stat sheets I have ever seen. Like he was efficient. He almost dropped the triple double. He did, he did not only not only did he score, but he spread the ball around. He got rebounds, and I think I think it was a remarkable performance. And and you know, we have been taking it kind of as a luxury, of course, pretty recently. But you know, when you see when you see performances like that, it still kind of gives you that. It kind of throws you into that phase, like whoa, like this is. This is not just a normal 40, 50 point game, which is crazy for, for me to even say that's normal. 40 and 50 point games should not be normal, but that's just how the NBA moves nowadays. But all in all, incredible performance from Donovan Mitchell and um, one, one of the greatest I've, I've seen, to be honest. Absolutely. Um, when you look at when you look at stat lines like that, where players are scoring 71 po- 70 plus points, you're thinking about a one dimensional game that all they're doing is putting up points. But when you do it in such an efficient way, but along with that, you're rebounding the ball well. You're you're passing the ball with well. You know, it's just uh, that's like one of the most complete complete team efforts you're ever gonna get. Uh, and you know, Donovan Mitchell delivering that. Uh, it was definitely definitely one of the great performances you got to remember for years and years to come. Obviously, Devin Booker did it, but he did it in a losing effort. But this one was sort of different in the sense that they were able to pull it out. So when you're able to get a win, but you're able to also get a historic performance like that, even Kyrie Irving said, having the franchise record in points in a game, he was happy for him. Uh, He was excited and he's glad that he was the one to break it and, and do it in that fashion was just that much more remarkable and exciting to watch just for the fans but also just the NBA world and even the players reacting to it were going nuts about it. So uh, very, very exciting. Ahmed, let me get your thoughts on the 71-point performance from Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, you know, uh, before I do kick into his performance uh, individually, you know, as you guys said, even Jeanette said, you know, like everyone's scoring 40 and 50 like it's nothing nowadays. You have Luka dropping 40-point triple-doubles on a daily basis and forget Luca. This guy Giannis is doing it every single night. Giannis has had forty-five point triple doubles for three consecutive games. Um, it's just the the talent in this league is remarkable. The future is bright, and I believe the standard of forty-five points to fifty points a night. I think this is going to become a new norm very very soon, uh, especially with the way um, a lot of these players how many attempts they take from from three ball. Um, you know, as we said, Steph Curry definitely. You know, he revolutionizes this game for sure. You got big man taking threes. So the scoring, of course, is going to go up, you know, 45 points, 50 points. It's remarkable. You have LeBron James scoring 40 points at the age of 38. I mean, like you you say this, like if you were to say these stat lines back in the 80s and 70s where the game was more defensive, you would be like mind blown. But like in today's world, it's just like it's crazy that 45 and 50 point games are becoming the new norm. Um and we're getting spoiled with it, man. It's like every night something's happening with, with like incredible performances. And recently on Monday night, Donovan Mitchell with 71 points, eight rebounds, nine. I mean, that's an absurd stat line. Without question, one of the best stat lines of all time. Uh, me personally, I also didn't watch the game. Uh, but after watching the highlights, Donovan Mitchell. And, you know, some people don't realize that the Cavs were down by 18 points in one point this game. Yep. Donovan Mitchell turned into a different gear in the second half. He, he, he took the team on his back. He came back, finished with 71 points. And, you know, as Jay mentioned before, the efficiency is remarkable. 
20 of 25, uh, 20 of 25 from the free throw line, um, you know, shooting 54% from um, the three ball line. I mean, this league is in great hands. Uh, the future is bright. And um, the, as I said before, man, we're getting spoiled with these big performances. And I'm not going to be surprised if we see another 70 point performance anytime soon. That's just the way the league has been structured around for, for the past couple of days now. Yeah, I feel like the offensive explosion we've seen from players like that. I'm I'm waiting for someone like KD to pro- probably pull up for 70 or get the next 70 piece. Um, but th- these performances, are, so obviously, defense has taken a step down, and you know, offenses have risen and become the new norm. And we're not accustomed to seeing something this high powered every time down guys are just scoring and scoring and every game's looking like an all-star game. We're not accustomed to seeing that years prior in years prior, we've seen teams uh, stack up on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, obviously offense wins you games, but defense wins you championships. But I feel like uh, every team is just starting to stack up, grab that player. That's going to be an absolute absurd offensive talent. And obviously Cavaliers making the move for Donovan Mitchell. We're seeing it come to fruition for them and them being one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. But uh, absolutely remarkable performance from Donovan Mitchell. But uh, I wanted to do something a little fun. Uh, we saw a 71-point outburst from Donovan Mitchell. I wanted each of us to... Name one uh, one great scoring performance that we saw that we remember till this day, like just watching it all unfold before our very eyes. One of your guys' most memorable scoring performances. Yo, Janet, I'm going to start off with you on this one. What is your most memorable scoring performance that you've seen unfold before your very eyes? This actually might not be that crazy to you guys, but, um, well... If you were to ask me the one, like, because you're asking what have I seen, the one that I haven't seen, if I had to pick one, would obviously be Kobe's 81-point game. But if I had to if I had to pick one that I've seen, it's actually really recent. It's the one that even happened last year in the finals. And and listen, I'm talking about game four of the finals, Steph Curry dropped 43, dropping 43 points. And the reason why I say that is because when you look at Steph Curry and when you ask me about memorable Steph Curry has never really had a moment in the playoffs or yet alone the finals where we looked back and said, whoa, he just put the team on his back and he just won this game. You had Kevin Durant on those teams in the Cavaliers back to back years where Kevin Durant put the team on his back, hit those big to big, big back to back shots from the same spot. But Curry never really had that. And I think when you assess the situation against Boston and how good they were playing in the playoffs and even in that series up to that point, the fact that they were at home up to one with a chance to go up three to one. And Steph, who, by the way, everyone else was was playing pretty bad that game. But when you look at Steph and, and the way that he put the team on his back and was taking no for an answer and and basically said, I am winning this game one way or another. If you guys don't want to come with me, I'll do it myself. That's the kind of vibes that I got from that game. And um, he had very he had some huge back to back shots towards the ending of the game. And I think the reason I, I the reason why I say this game and of course, there's a lot of games I can list. There's been a lot of legendary score, high scoring games and stuff like that. But when I talk memorable, when you when we're talking about Steph Curry after he retires or after he retires decades from now, when we look back at Steph Curry and we talk about the biggest games that Steph Curry has had in his career, that game is going to be at the top of the list. And he's had some huge games against OKC in the regular season. You know, he's had some big playoff games as well. But 
this game right here officially stamped him as one of the greatest players of all time. And I think after this game, and even after the the fact that they came back and actually won the finals and he won his first finals MVP, I think the fact that it led to all that kind of elevated his status to a possible top 10 all time. So in terms of memorable and the one that I have witnessed with my own two eyes, that's the one that I would go with. Yeah, Steph Curry is straight <clears throat> box office. His shooting abilities, I think, is so unmatched. He forever changed the game with the way he shoots the ball, hands down. The way that teams are shooting threes, you can say for a fact that the increase in offensive production is due to the way Steph shoots the three ball. Everyone is, every time down the court, you see everyone trying to pull up from three. And that is because of Steph Curry. That is what you call generational shift in this game. That's what you call insurmountable amount of change in this game with the way the game has shifted through the three ball. And back in the day when Jordan played, you know, the the three-point attempts were substantially low than they are right now. Now there are teams pulling up for nearly 20, 25 threes per game. So combined, teams are shooting nearly 50 threes a game, which is crazy and absurd for the fact that teams are taking 50 threes a game uh, for total for the game. So uh, Steph Curry in his own light has been phenomenal. That game that you said in its own light was phenomenal. I remember watching it with my very eyes. One of the best games I've seen him play. There was also that game, I believe, against Toronto. Uh, that Toronto game where they fell short and he had like 48 points. And that sort of reminded me of a game where uh, LeBron James was in, where they played against Golden State in the game one of the NBA Finals when they were, when they were mm -hmm. swept. Uh, when he dropped 50 and that uh, overtime loss to Golden State. That's one of those games as well where he's like, you guys aren't going to do it. I'm going to put the team on my back and I'm going to get this 50. I'm going to help us win this game. And obviously we saw what happened down the stretch. It was unfortunate that they weren't able to win this game, win that game. But uh, that was obviously one of the more memorable games of LeBron James' career, more memorable, memorable games in finals history. And, you know, that game that you said in its own light is one of the more memorable games as well. So uh, hats off to Steph. He's one of the greatest shooters of all time, one of the probably top 10 players in the league we've ever seen. Um, hats off to him. But with that being said, my favorite game, it has to be, these are two, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say two games. Uh, I'm a huge Knicks fan. And uh, growing up, uh, we had, we didn't have that too many crazy playoff moments because we never made the playoffs, but uh, one big moment that I could really say that I really was one of the best moments as a Knicks fan was when Carmelo Anthony dropped 62 against the Bobcats. That was probably one of the most unbelievable nights of basketball. I could recall it like it was yesterday. Carmelo Anthony had nearly, I, I think, I believe he had 30 points at the half. And at the end of the, at the end of the first half, he pulled off from half court and he drilled a huge half court shot to go into the locker room. And the Knicks were up like, I believe like 20 plus points. That was probably one of the most phenomenal games I've seen uh, as a fan, being a fan of the Knicks and watching uh, your star player deliver that type of performance. It has memories written all over it. I could recall every play like it was yesterday. I remember Carmen, like Carmelo Anthony stepping to the line and hitting the free throw to give him 60. Uh, I, I could remember like yesterday, another big game that I could recall like it was yesterday. We remember when LeBron James went to Miami and he had his career high against the Bobcats yeah. as well. 
he had the career high yep. against the Bobcats, and he was the mass LeBron James. So that made that game so much more iconic. He was drilling threes left and right. Every time down, he was scoring. And, you know, that just – those things are just a testament to why I believe he's one of the greatest players in the world, if not the greatest player of all time. So two great, memorable performances that I got to witness in my lifetime. Uh, Ahmed, how about you, my brother? Yeah, you know, I was going to say uh, uh, LeBron James' game one performance, but unfortunately they didn't um, win that game due to G.R. Smith being a retard. But, uh, you know, one game I do want to say that's uh, memorable and that had an impact on the team winning was Giannis Antetokounmpo 2021 Game 6 NBA Finals. 51 points, 10 assists, 14 rebounds. I mean, I know we're talking about scoring performances, still 51 points. I mean, in a closeout game in the NBA Finals, I think that game really stamped Giannis up there. You know, I think Giannis is going to be one of the best to, to ever do it when he retires. He could possibly be ghost status. The, kid, the guy's still very Absolutely. young. So let's see what he does. In, it's not absurd. It's not absurd to say Giannis, yeah, no. Giannis is in ghost status with the way he's performing. Yeah. He's clearly making a statement as to why he can potentially, potentially be in ghost status. Yeah, so, you know, like I was saying, you know, the most impressive thing about that game for me, for Giannis, was not the 50 points. It was the fact that, you know, coming into that season, you know, everyone viewed Giannis as a struggling free throw shooter. And he was, you know, he shot 64%. But in the NBA Finals game six, in a game, you know, in a closeout game, he shot 17 of 19 from the free throw line, which is very impressive. Finished the game with 51 points, uh, 10 uh, re assists and 14 rebounds. I mean, it's really remarkable what Giannis has done in recent years and what he's going to continue to do so. So I, I would say that's one of the most uh, memorable games I've had for sure. Um, so, yeah. I, I I also agree with the with the Giannis thing. I, I feel like a lot of people when that happened, like, I feel like there wasn't that much hype around it. I don't know if it's just me. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I, like, when you actually look at what he did, like, he dropped 50-plus in a closeout game in the finals. Like, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, but another one that I, I kind of reminded me of too was was LeBron's game against Boston, which, by the way, I think that's yep. probably LeBron's best game. Oh, yeah, yeah. LeBron's best game of all time that he had in the amount of adversity he had coming into that year. Uh, the fact that the year prior they had lost to Dallas in the finals, the fact that they were in an elimination game in TD Garden, which is not an easy arena to play in, and LeBron to come out there and he just had that look on his face from start to finish, you know. And prior to that game, LeBron really didn't have a game where we looked at him and thought, whoa, you know, like he's like he's he's put the team on his back. He's doing whatever he can to win the game. But obviously, since then, he's had a lot of those performances. But I think that game really jump started his career and, and the rest was history. But that was that was another big one. I thought I'd, I'd add in there. Yeah, for Absolutely. sure. Um, I feel like we have such hand-in-hand -hand moments, you guys. We're talking about Steph Curry. We're talking about Giannis. We're talking about LeBron James. So I just feel like it's just a moment of appreciation when you look at these historic performances. Like, one day these athletes are going to retire. And, you know, sometimes people sit in the notion of, like, uh, you know, the competitive nature. Oh, LeBron James is this, LeBron James is that. We got to really sit down uh, sometimes and really appreciate the greatness of what we're watching every single day and not take it for granted. Uh, obviously, some historic performances. And I feel like with the uh, we got four months of the regular season still left to play. And I'm just looking forward to what other historic performances are yet to come. Um, you guys yeah, got any um, final thoughts before we wrap up the show? Yeah, Fawad, you were spot on with everything you said. You know, 
you definitely have to, you know, and appreciate everything you watch, especially, you know, with all the greatness we're currently watching with Luca, Giannis, Steph Curry, you know, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, the list goes on and on. And, you know, definitely got to take the time and appreciate um, the, the super team master, Steph Curry, you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just wanted to throw that. He had nothing. He wanted to throw that. I, I knew what I was going for. Um, yeah, you know, just have to appreciate Steph Curry, the super team master. You know, the Warriors, talking about the Warriors real quick. I know we're running out of time. You know, they're on a five-game winning streak without Steph Curry. So, you know, you got to give credit to Jordan Poole, who's emerged as one of the young superstars in this league. So I, I, I want to say this before we do pass on to Janae for final thoughts. I know, I think a lot of people are counting the Warriors out this year. I'm not going to lie. I think the Warriors, just because they have a terrible record uh, on the road, I still do believe the Warriors could be, they're going to be a threat in the playoffs, man. If Steph Curry could come back and get healthy, they still have a deep roster and they could make noise. So do not count the Warriors out just yet. Just saying. Absolutely. I think Curry's. Curry's actually having a better year than his unanimous year, and and he's literally still improving. If you look at the stats, he's improving year by year. Um, so there's the the super team for you. Um, but anyways, uh, I just wanted to kind of get my thoughts on the uh, on the my experience in the in the podcast. I think I think the topics that we covered were really interesting. It was obviously really fun talking with you guys about these different topics and stuff. I think the fact that you introduced UFC. It's something that you can now build on. And, you know, UFC is is a very interesting sport and it's only up and yeah. rising by the day. Um, and I think it's the perfect way that perfect time that you introduced it to kick off the new year, because there's a lot of interesting stuff, fights, possible fights that could happen this year. And what better time to 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 get started talking about that. But overall, I had a great experience. Uh, once again, I appreciate you having me and uh, it was a great time. Appreciate you. Ha appreciate having you on the show, Jeanette. Thank you so much for being on. Hopefully down the line, we could definitely run it back again. Possibly next show, maybe we could run it back. We'll see how it goes down. Ahmed and Jeanette, thank you so much for being on the show. Ahmed, you got any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, man. Uh, this was definitely one of the best episodes uh, I've been on. All episodes are great, but this introducing UFC was a, was a big step moving forward. I definitely do agree with Jeanette. We could build on it moving forward. 2023 hopefully best sports year we could possibly get we have a lot of exciting events coming up so uh looking forward to talking about all those events for sure like you said great time had a blast having you guys on thank you so much for being on the show both Ahmed and Janaid. and with that being said don't forget to follow us on instagram and twitter the links will be in the description below for both the sports page the podcast page as well as the tunnel vision sports page Make sure to tune in next week for a brand new episode of Fawad's Pod. And make sure to keep up with all your sports needs at tvsportsmag.com.